Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. We're on week five of At The Movies series. And so this has really been a good series. I don't know if you've enjoyed it, but I've enjoyed bringing it. I've enjoyed talking about it. Um, I've had a lot of feedback, a good, good positive feedback from people saying, wow, I, I never really realized we could find so much goodness out of movies. See, I believe that God has inspired people uh, with giftings and talents, including art. And I believe that, that film and movies is a form of art. How many could agree with that? And so, you know, a lot of times for me, why is it that I'm so engaged in a certain movie? There's something that it does to our soul. It can stir us up. We just watched a movie on Netflix the other day. It was called uh, Brain on Fire. This, um, this true story of this lady that had gone through so much, and it was just like it, it was inspiring because, you know, sometimes movies will make us aware of something we weren't aware of. And so it creates this sympathy or this empathy towards a cause or maybe a disease or a plight that someone's going through. Other times, have you ever found yourself, literally you're watching the character and you're like, that's me. I've gone through these things in life. Maybe sometimes a movie is just a way to get away. You need to laugh. You need to cry. You need to get some emotions out. And so movies are just great for that. What an art form that can engage us in a story and draw on our emotions and bring us to a place that maybe sometimes even is better in life. And so we've been looking at this series, and every week we've been pulling some principles out of these different movies. And so we're going to continue that today. Amen. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity that we can be together, that we can look into the scriptures, we can hear from the Holy Spirit, hear from the word of God. What is it that you would have to say to us this morning, Holy Spirit? What is it that would bring freedom into our lives, that would bring change of mind, which equals change of action? We thank you for that this morning. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So at the movies, I I was thinking about what movie we could look into, and I was thinking of this movie, Jurassic World. How many saw Jurassic World? Now listen, I know there's mixed reviews. Some people are like, man, this is the best one ever since the first. Others are like, don't waste your money. You you ever been in that situation? I like being excited about the movie I saw, not, wow, I just wasted my money. Now this is a spoiler alert, so close your ears if you haven't seen the movie yet. But this movie is completely different. It's completely different. It has to do with these dinosaurs that were created. Yeah, then the dinosaurs went rogue, and then carnage and death followed. I mean, it's completely different than any other plot for the Jurassic series. Now, surely I'm joking. If you haven't seen it, you're like, no way. There's dinosaurs and they eat people? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. And the funny thing is, we go to see dinosaurs eat people. What would Jesus do, right? I haven't had a chance to to see this movie, but I I know that in the plot, there's some interesting things that happen. And I'm looking at even the name, the title is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And it made me start to think about this idea of kingdom. Now in the movie, there's this, there's two groups, basically. There's, there's one group that is lobbying to go and save these dinosaurs, if you hadn't seen the first one, Jurassic World with, with Chris Pratt, then you probably weren't aware that they were on this, this island and they had to leave the island because everything, again, went rogue. Imagine that. And so they left the dinosaurs there. Well, now there's a volcano that's going to destroy all these dinosaurs. And so you have this one group that's lobbying to go help them. 
I mean, regardless of the pain and the suffering that they've caused, for some reason there's a compassion for these dinosaurs, for these animals. Of course, you have the other side. The group's like, listen, let them go extinct. I mean, they shouldn't be here anyway. And so there's this kind of tension in the movie about should we save them? Well, of course, they decide let's save them. And then they all live happily ever after. No, not really. But it's this whole idea of rescue, this idea of saving. And so Jurassic World, a different kingdom. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a different kingdom. Because when I think about this idea of compassion, this idea of wanting to rescue, it reminds me of a guy named Jesus. Jesus, who really we could say Christ, because how many know that Christ is not his last name? Christ is part of the Godhead. That's the anointing. And so God comes to this planet with this idea of rescue. He brings salvation to a lost world. Now, if you've been here any amount of time, you understand what salvation means, right? In the Greek, sozo, soteria, it means preservation, safety, deliverance, healing, and wholeness. And if you look at the life of Jesus, it was a constant reminder of what the kingdom of God looked like. He always brought healing and restoration, forgiveness, and love. He always brought peace. He was showing people, listen, there's a better way to live, and it's the kingdom way. And so this idea of salvation is exactly that. I'm bringing a new way of living into this world, and so it was a rescue mission. Now, think of this idea of a fallen kingdom. Now, let me ask this question. When you fall, what happens? It hurts. I, for some reason, I just knew I would get that answer this morning. When you fall, it hurts. That's one thing. But think about this. By the very definition, to fall is to move downward from a higher level to a lower level. Right? I mean, pretty simple. So when we fall, you're a little bit higher, and then you fall down to a lower level. So that's the definition of falling. And I think about this idea of the fallen world. We can go back to the story of creation and we, we see what, what we would term the fall of man in, in the Genesis story. And so it's this idea of falling from this higher position to a lower level or lower position. So what is the mission? Really, the mission is rescuing those who have lost their identity. And I want to talk about this a little bit this morning because, you know, sometimes if we're not careful, we, we preach a gospel of separation, we preach a gospel where God is separate from you. He can't stand you. You have sin. He can't look up on it. And we use scripture and verses for all these things. I get that. But, but I want to take a little different look at even the creation story. If we look back at Adam and Eve, you, you know, something happened in Genesis chapter 2 after the creation. Now, are you familiar with the creation story? That there were six days of creation and the seventh day of rest. Can I get an amen? We need some rest. But in these six days... Every day after creation, God would say, it is good. It is very good. Then we get into chapter 2, and all of a sudden, something changes a little bit. God says these words. He says, it is not good. Say not good. It is not good that man is alone. Now, I would read this in the past and go, yeah, man, if I was a dude, I'd be like, hook me up with a woman, Right? So this is the thought. But this is interesting. The word alone in the Hebrew is the word bad. It's spelled just like a B-A-D, the word bad. And it means separation. It means to be separated. I started thinking this through, and I'm thinking, 
wow, God, what were you saying? He said, it is not good that man is separated. Now, there was no tree at this point. There was no giving in, right, to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was happening? And at that point, it says that he put Adam to sleep. In the Hebrew, actually, he put him into this state of ecstasy. And so as he was sleeping, it says he pulled Eve out of him. How do you know when man was created, just like God in his image, both genders were present. That's what Adam was. So he pulls us out. And I think it's interesting that he pulls Eve out. It was almost like a safety precaution. Because even after the fall, when he questions, the woman says, I was deceived. See, Adam wasn't deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. And what did God say? He says, the seed of this woman will both crush your head to the serpent and said, we'll save you talking to man. And I've said this before, but it's interesting that all through history, even in the church, What's the one gender that's always held down? The female. The savior, the seed came through woman who was deceived, didn't know any better because Adam didn't tell her. But what's interesting to me is when God said it is not good that man be separated or there's separation already in Adam's mind, things were changing. He was separating himself from God. He was saying something's not right. In fact, he was told to tend and to keep the garden. That word keep is actually used in medieval times. There was an area, a tower that they would call the keep. And the the soldiers would stand there and they would be on lookout so that no enemy forces would come in. So literally, he was saying, Adam, keep any evil force out of the garden. But it's interesting that Adam seemed to have already been separating. When did the serpent enter? Just interesting. We don't know. So there's already this separation happening. And so sometimes we'll preach God is separated from you. He can't be with you. But even after the fall, he came directly down, spent time with them, went out of the garden with them. Even when Cain was about to commit the first murder, God comes to him and says, listen, Cain, sin crouches at your door looking for opportunity. As a father, always looking out for his offspring and his children. What did Paul say? We are all God's offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. The Apostle John tells us that everything was created by the word of God, Jesus Christ. He's in all. He's through all. So what is going on in this separation? It's right here. Because Paul said that we were enemies of God, where? In our minds. So when we fell from a higher level to a lower level, where did we fall? In our minds. We started to believe a lie about ourselves. We started to lose our identity as sons and daughters of God. Now, if we look at the temptation of Jesus Christ in the wilderness, how many of are familiar with this story? So Jesus, he, he is, this is cool. Just before he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted, he shows up at the River Jordan. He's baptized by John the Baptist. It says when he came up out of the water, this is so cool. It says that the heavens opened. It said that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and then these words came from heaven, audible words that everyone there heard. God said, this is my beloved son, meaning I love my son dearly, dearly loved. And he says, with whom I am well pleased. Now, for years, I didn't even get really what was going on here, but do you know that Jesus had not yet started ministry, hadn't performed one miracle, hadn't done one thing for God, and what does God say? This is my dearly loved son, with whom I am well pleased. Why? Because he's my son. Someone here needs to hear that today. Why is God pleased with me? 
because you're his son, because you're his daughter. Now, if you awaken to who you are, that identity, guess what? You'll walk out who you truly are. But look at this, in the temptation in the wilderness, so Jesus goes through this, and I think it's so cool that he receives his identity from the Father at this point. He goes off for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He is fasting and he's praying, and suddenly the devil, the accuser, how many have had an accuser come to them in their life, right? The accuser comes to him, and he tries to tempt him out of his identity. First question, if you're the son of God, turn these stones on the bread. If you're the son of God. You see that question? How about go back to the garden? Did God really say? You see this? So you have first Adam in the garden who's trying to be tempted out of his identity. Listen, Adam was just like God. God was his father. He was made in the image and likeness of God. And the tempter said, man, if you eat this fruit, you'll be just like God. His answer should have been, I already am. See you later. But it didn't happen. So unfortunately, he failed at the temptation. But Jesus, even the third temptation was, he took him up to a high place. He said, look it, see everything. Everything you see, I will give it to you if you simply bow down to me. And Jesus is like, it's already mine, dude. What are you talking about? Jesus was never tempted out of his identity. How many of us struggle with that at times? Because guess what? You function, your actions, what you say, what you do, it comes from your identity, who you think you are. Now, God knows who we are, but do we know who we are as sons and daughters of God? So I want to pick this up in verse 13, because we see this whole idea here of the temptation, and then and Jesus comes back to town in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 4, and it says, he, meaning Jesus, left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus loved the water, didn't he? Yeah. This was in the region, now pick this up, of Zebulun and Zephtali. So what the prophet Isaiah had said came true. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, and he said these words inspired by God. Verse 15, land of Zebulun and land of Zephtali, on the way to the sea, across the Jordan River Galilee, where foreigners live. So he's explaining where Jesus settled. Look at this in verse 16. The people who lived in darkness have seen a bright light. Now, a lot of times in the Bible, whenever we see the word darkness, it pertains to the idea of ignorance, not understanding. When we see the word light, it pertains to revelation or understanding. So he says, the people who lived in darkness have seen a bright light. A light has risen for those who live in a land overshadowed by death. Now, I want us to pick this up in verse 17. From then on, now listen to this. From then on, Jesus began to tell the people or to preach. This is his message. Turn to God. Some, some translations say repent. This is what it means. And change the way you think and act because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, now look at the message Jesus had. He says repent. In the Greek, metanoia means to change your mind. It means to turn. How do you turn? By changing your mind. See, we always operate according to how we think. That's why if, if, you, if you think right, if you believe right, then you'll act right. Does that make sense? And so he's saying repent. Now, sometimes we turn it into a dirty word. You know, it's repent, and we, we add an A to the end, and we say it real growly, and we want people to grovel around, and hopefully God will forgive them. But repentance is simply saying, wow, God, your ways are better than my ways. Your thoughts are better than my thoughts, higher than my thoughts. I like your way. I'm going to turn and go your way. That's what repentance is. 
I believe repentance happens every Sunday. I believe repentance should happen every day when you get into the scripture, when you spend time with the Holy Spirit. He's changing your mind about who he is and about who you are. And for a lot of us, man, we look in the mirror and all we see is what we see. We need to see Jesus in us, the hope of glory. We need to see that it's in him we live and move and have our being. And when we do, suddenly we'll step over into a different arena of life where we start to function out of who we truly are. And there's such fulfillment, such satisfaction when we walk from this place in this space. The Pharisees even asked Jesus about the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of heaven. You can kind of interchange those two phrases, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20 The Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. Now, they were interested. Hey, Jesus, if if you're this so-called Messiah, if you have this this main line to, to our creator, to Jehovah, then tell us, when is the kingdom of God going to come? Because to them, it was a natural kingdom. It was just like the kingdom of David. Remember King David? That's what they were looking for. They were under Roman occupation and paying taxes to the Romans. And they were enslaved and being occupied. And they thought, we want out of this mess. When is the kingdom physically going to manifest where we have a king again and we have our own nation? But look at the answer Jesus gave them. He says, people can't observe the coming of the kingdom of God. They can't say, here it is, or there it is. You see, the kingdom of God, now I want us to get this, is within you. I I don't know if we're grasping how huge this is. Pre-cross, pre-resurrection, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is within you. Wait wait a minute. This should rock your world a little bit. The kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom is within you. It's always been there because you are the offspring of God. You were made in his image and likeness, and you've forgotten who you are. This is what's interesting to me. It says that when they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, evil, an eagle, I guess, what happened? They died. Now, do you know that Adam lived like another 900 years? So where did they die? In their spirit. You know, Jesus in the New Testament, this is so cool, he talks about death as being asleep. So literally, at that point, they decided instead of operating out of our spirit, who we truly are, we're now going to step over into the soul realm, and now we're going to operate from our soul. In the beginning, it was a spirit, listen, this interjoined with the soul. So the spirit called the shots, the mind, will, and emotions, they weren't warped, they weren't off, they understood because of that connection, and then guess what, they carried around a body. So the body did what the spirit said to do. When they went asleep, the spirit was pushed aside, and now they operated soul joined with flesh or body, and guess how much trouble that gets us into. That's why we're told in the scriptures that the word of God, meaning Jesus Christ, is like a two-edged sword piercing, it says piercing through or dividing the soul and spirit. That word translated divide should actually be a bringing together. 
in, in the Greek. So what happens is when the, when the word of God comes in, he actually pierces through the spirit and soul and he brings them back together just like the beginning in creation and says, this is how it's supposed to be. Now allow your spirit to live through your soul, work through your soul to repair, to heal, to restore, to get proper thinking, proper emotions, proper will. And all of a sudden you start to walk differently. The word of God does this. It brings them back together like it was always supposed to be. In other words, we forgot our identity. And so what do we do? We, we wander around like orphans. We don't know who our father is. We, we wonder what we're supposed to do. And so we try to figure it out ourselves. And Jesus came to say, no, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is within you. Will you, what does Paul tell us? Awaken to your righteousness. In other words, awaken to your right relationship with God. He never left you. He's always pursued you. His love has always pursued relationship with you. Whether it's like, okay, you want sacrificial system? Fine, let's do that. But it's going to be a little different because you can't offer human sacrifice like every other nation. Uh, the other thing is, like every other God that's distant and away and you don't quite know where you are, I'm going to say this. The very first scripture in Leviticus when I tell you about the five main offerings, I'm going to say when you bring the offering, bring in the Hebrew means to draw near. What he's saying is I'm not like any other God. When you bring a sacrifice, I'm going to draw near to you and you to me. And then they had specific instructions. When they would burn that offering, it became a meal. Why? Because that represented covenant. God was saying, fine, sacrifices. What did Hebrews tell us? That it made them feel good in their own conscience to offer a sacrifice. Because later the prophets told us that through, through the oracles of God saying, I despise your sacrifice and your feast. I don't want it even. I don't want to hear your songs, nothing, because you're not getting it. God's whole point was sacrifice is fine as long as I can have relationship with you because I'll let you believe whatever you need to believe about me in order for me to have relationship with you to move you to the next level. And then finally Jesus comes and shows us the heart of the Father. It was completely different than we thought. Now I know I'm going a million ways today, but I want us to get this. We lost our identity. And Jesus was coming to say, listen, you've lost your identity. I have come to seek and to save the lost. So he says the kingdom is within you. So here's the thing. If it's in you, what do we do with it? We work it out. You're kingdom bearers. You're image bearers of God. Our job, I don't really like that word, but our job in life is to spend time with the Father, understanding the kingdom, what that looks like, and then living it out to all of creation, to the whole world, to those in that sphere of influence around us so they can go, wow, I, I never realized that this was what relationship with God was all about. It's even the idea of salvation. Sometimes we, we put it in this little box. We're like, okay, I pray the prayer and then it's all about afterlife and somewhere I go in the sweet by and by. Listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I want to be present with the Lord, however that looks. I haven't gone yet. I don't know. People have written books about where they were in there. That's great. But, but for me, salvation is, is preservation, safety, deliverance, wholeness, and healing. I'm thinking, I need that here and now. And I'm the bearer of that salvation to the world, just like Jesus was. Because the greater one lives on the inside. You follow me so far? So like the dinosaurs that roamed on this island off on their own, isolated, cut off from help, if we look out into this world today, we'll see many people who are isolated. They're in a world of their own. What is that term? People say they're an island all to themselves. And so they're lost. They've lost their identity. I mean, let me say something this morning. We should never lose our compassion. And I think this is the problem sometimes is that 
we make life, especially as believers, we have a tendency sometimes to do this. We make it about us and them. We're in, they're out. But what if it was a message where we brought hope to people and said, listen, the work has been finished. Jesus has reintroduced us to ourselves. Will you believe it? Because I say this every week, you only walk in what you believe. If you believe yourself to be an orphan, if you believe God to be angry and distant and you're dirty and you can't be with him, guess how you're going to act? Distant and dirty. But if you really believe that you're clean and you're close because of Jesus, if you really believe that he's near to us and wants to draw near and be close, if you really believe that your identity is a son or daughter of the Most High God, how will you act? So we've got to change our minds, don't we? Romans 12, 2, we're transformed, right, by the renewing of our mind. We have to change our mind about who we are. Now, as I look at this process, there's so many beautiful stories in the Bible about Jesus and how he interacted with people. But one name really came up to me concerning today's idea of identity and getting the identity back of who we are. And it's Zacchaeus. How many here have heard of Zacchaeus? If you're not familiar... Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Have you heard that song? <laughs> Church jokes. If this is your first time, you're like, what does that mean? Wee little man actually means he was short. So PC would be he was vertically challenged, okay? Zacchaeus was a vertically challenged man, and a vertically challenged man was he. Doesn't quite fit, doesn't quite work the same. But he was short, and that really matters in the story. But I thought about this idea of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. This is what he was. Now, if you're not familiar with what a tax collector was, it was a person who collected taxes. Wow. Boo, right? But in this time, Rome was occupying Israel, and so Rome wanted their taxes. And so what they do is they would, they would bring on board, they would hire Jews to collect taxes for them. Now, these Jews would have a certain amount they'd have to turn into the Roman government to be okay, but anything above and beyond that was theirs to keep. I think it's interesting that whenever Jesus sat with the sinners, it says the sinners and the tax collectors. They're like specific about it. And a sinner was someone who was rejected, like publicly rejected from worship in the temple system. And I believe the Mr. Taxman was too. Because look what he was doing. It was extortion. He was stealing from his own people to pay Rome and living well. But listen to this. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just an apprentice. He wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, which tells me he probably had tax collectors, he had a whole region of them, and they would give money to him. Imagine Zacchaeus, he's got the house on the hill, he's got the infinity pool, wow. He's got the harem of women feeding grapes to him, this guy's got a lavish life. People despised him, people hated him, he's like, it's all good, check me out, yo, I got all I needs to get. One day Jesus comes into town and Zacchaeus hears about this. Now, Zacchaeus is a Jewish, Jewish man. He understood the prophecy that a Messiah was to come. And many people were saying that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Zacchaeus wanted to go and meet this Jesus. Now, I don't think it was because, oh, I need to meet this Jesus because I really need to get saved. No, I think it's like, I want to meet this Jesus because like, he's got an entourage and he's got fame. And people know who he is. I need to get to know this guy. And so he goes one day. He hears he's coming into town. So he follows. When he gets there, there's so many people crowding around Jesus that he thinks, 
man, how could I see Jesus? And he sees a sycamore tree and he thinks, if I could climb that tree, remember, he was vertically challenged. If I could climb that tree, I could get a better view of Jesus. So he climbs the tree and he gets this great view and he sees Jesus like, all right, I'm gonna see every word, everything he has to say to me. And it's so wild because as he's in this tree, gazing down at Jesus, Jesus looks up at him and he calls his name. He says, Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus probably, what, what, you tell, wait, how do you know my name? First of all, who's been talking about me? How does Jesus know my name? Who do you know that knows me? You know, they say that the sweetest sound to a human being's ears is a sound of his or her own name. This is big. You know, how many here have children? Isn't it cool when they get to that point in life where they start to recognize their name? And you say their name. Now, my kids are older, so I've, I've kind of, I missed that portion of it. I, I, my grandkids are kind of the same way. The closest it has land, and he's my youngest. And I love doing this. I'll be across the room, and he'll just be all into something with this crazy hair. Have you seen his hair? It's like amazing, right? Punk rock hairdo. And he's over there, and he's doing stuff, and I just go, Landon. He could be totally with his back to me like this. Landon. He'll go, Papa. Papa, oh, I love Papa, <laughs> a little tear. He hears his own name, and when he recognizes that, it's the sweetest thing to a human being's ears. And Jesus looks up into a tree, totally unexpected by Zacchaeus, and he says his name. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I'm heading over to your house right now. Now think about this. There were a lot of good Jews in this crowd following Jesus who probably would like just one minute with Jesus. But yet Zacchaeus gets an invitation by Jesus to welcome him into his house to spend time with him. This blows my mind. So Zacchaeus hears his name. He must be relishing this moment. He's like, yeah, what's up now? Check this out. Jesus is coming to my house, yo, right? Like he's all pumped. Jesus is coming to his house. He probably called all his friends and his cronies. He's like, come on, everybody. Guess who's coming to my house? Remember the Messiah dude, Jesus? Coming to my house. They're like, uh-uh, no way. So Jesus shows up to his house, and they're having this meal. But, you know, in that afternoon, I don't know what Zacchaeus was thinking. I don't know what his, his logic was about Jesus coming to his house, but something unexpected and unexplainable begin to happen in Zacchaeus' heart. I mean, how long did he have an audience with the living God in his house? Two hours? Four hours? Eight hours? We don't know. It's, it's not written. But something happened. What was going through Zacchaeus' mind? I mean, was he thinking things like, does Jesus know what I do? Does he know what paid for this meal today? This wine and this grub, does he know what paid for this house in the infinity pool? And as he's thinking through this, I mean, if he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, he must have thought, he must, but he doesn't reject me. He's here having a meal with me. This must have completely blew his mind. As he's talking, did Jesus just, just sit there and listen to him? Maybe he thought things like, Nobody listens to me except the guys that work for me, but they get paid by me, so of course they do. No one listens to me, but this Jesus, I mean, he cares. He listens. He gets it. I imagine Zacchaeus looking into the most compassionate eyes he's ever seen and thinking, 
Does he really know who I am? And then thinking he must and he doesn't reject me. Something happens when we spend time with our creator. Something happens when we open ourselves up to relationship with our heavenly father. When we open up to relationship with Jesus. When we open up to this relationship we have through the Holy Spirit. Something happens in our hearts, just like in the heart of Zacchaeus. How do I know this? Well, let's pick up the story in Luke 19, verse 8. I want you to see what happens after he has this meeting with Jesus. It says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and this is what he said. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. Wait a minute. This selfish, hardened man after spending some time with Jesus, says, I will give half my wealth to the poor. He goes on, he says, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, if, come on, Zacchaeus, let's be honest. He says, I will give them back four times as much. Wouldn't it be great if you got back four times as much than you paid in taxes? <laughs> Something changed. Now, we don't know what Jesus talked about, but we do know that from that time on, his message was repent or change your mind because the kingdom of God is near you. In fact, it's within you. What if Jesus showed him his true identity? Zacchaeus, how are you acting? That's not your true identity. Why would I think that? Well, look at it. It goes on to say this. This is the response of Jesus. This is big. After Zacchaeus says that I will give half my wealth to the poor and all those I've cheated on taxes, I will give them four times as much, Jesus' response was this, salvation has come to this home today. Wait a minute. Salvation has come to this house today. It challenges our perspective what salvation is, right? Listen, I believe in afterlife. I believe in I'll be with God. But, but sometimes we make things so much about then, I got my ticket, so now I just, I just tarry and wait, and hopefully it comes back soon so I don't have to do anything else because this world is so scary. But what if the response is salvation is about here and now? How, how did salvation come to this household? Because Zacchaeus was delivered of himself. He was delivered of the wrong identity. How do I know that? Look at this. Jesus says, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. What? Now think about this. Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith. Who was the father of Abraham? Almighty God, the creator. Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, you got your identity back. You now are functioning out of who you truly were always meant to be. Let me say this this morning, that the blueprint, the design for humanity had never changed. I'm sorry, but one man making a bad decision doesn't, doesn't just negate everything that God purposed and planned. That's why he stuck with man through thick and thin to show them who they truly were. Even when Israel came out of Egypt, do you know that God invited them personally, every person, to Mount Sinai to break covenant with them? But because of over 400 years of slavery mentality, they couldn't do it. It said they were afraid and they ran from the mountain and basically said, Moses, you deal with it. We can't do this. And God said, listen, 
if you don't want personal covenant, then let's do the next best step. Let's cut a covenant. Here's the commandments. Here's how it looks to live life. Here's how it looks to put me first. And he slowly was training them through this system. But he offered them what they would call a grant covenant right up front. I do everything. You are beneficiaries because I say so. And they opted for, no, let us do enough that we can somehow earn it. And guess what? It never worked. The system didn't work. And so God has always pursued humanity because of his love. So he said, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. He goes on to say, for the son of man came to do what? Seek and save those who are lost. What was the mission of Jesus? To seek and save Now, I want us to get this. To seek and save, bring deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and wholeness to us here and now because we had lost our identity. And that's why, have you ever looked around in the world and just thought, my God, what is wrong with people? Uh, Answer is they lost their identity. They need Jesus to say, repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is near. In fact, it's within you. Will you believe it? I mean, it makes the gospel so much easier to share. I mean, I have friends of mine who, you know, two years ago they were atheists and now they're really considering this idea because they're hearing something different. It's not the same gospel we've always heard. And in fact, there was another gospel. The gospel is repent, change your mind, believe that you're the sons and daughters of God and awaken to that righteousness and then walk in it. You can, or you can choose to, either way. Was well, everybody saved? Uh, no, look around you. Turn on the news. There's not a whole lot of people walking in salvation. I know people who, who prayed a 37-word prayer called the sinner's prayer, and they're not walking in salvation. There's, still, there's areas in my life I still need deliverance and safety and preservation and healing and wholeness, right? Paul says to work out your salvation to those being saved. Salvation is continual. It's a journey. It's continuing to awaken to who you truly are, what you were built to be. But here's the thing. The blueprint never changed and God never gave up on us and he still hasn't we need to have that same hope that same empathy that same compassion for people who have lost their identity listen when someone's acting like a fool and crazy they don't know who they are when they awaken to who they've been built to be in the image and likeness of God they will act differently that's why church isn't about pointing a finger at your actions It's first of all pointing our finger at him and saying, all because of him, the creator, everything I have, the good works, the fruit, the faith, the grace, the love, it all comes from him. It's all gifted to me by him. It's simply up to me to go, that's who I am. That's mine. And then saying, I'm going to own this. I'm going to own this. And so when the accuser comes and says, If you're the son or daughter of God, what is your response? Because for me, for years it was like, that's true. I'm not acting very son-like. Maybe I'm not today. I mean, a lot of you you know me. You've seen me growing up, and I didn't always make the best decisions. But I'll tell you what, I am walking more like who I'm supposed to be now than I ever have before. And it wasn't because I tried harder to clean up my life. It's because I said, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I give myself to you. 
And everything that I give to you, I'm counting on you to be my strength and my power and my ability. And as you live your life through me, Jesus, I now do what I was always designed to do. I be what I was always designed to be. I think it's cool that we're called human beings, not human doings. It's not about your doing, it's about your being. Let your doing come out of your being. You follow me this morning. So Jesus' response was salvation has come to this home today. For this man has showed himself to be a true son of Abraham. He got his identity back. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. And let me add, those who have lost their identity. When you have intimate relationship with the divine, with the God of the universe, it makes you question motives and actions. It causes you to question attitudes and words, doesn't it? When you really spend time with your heavenly father, when you look into the word, when you look into the scriptures, when you start to get a better understanding, you start to question the way that you've been thinking. The attitudes that you had, the, 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 the responses that you've had to people. And this is what's beautiful because God's described as two things, love and light. And I, I love what light does. I, I love the fact that I can go into a room in pitch black, turn on a light and see where I'm going because how many do not like to stub their toe? Right? I mean, if you stub your toe, all kinds of Jesus words usually come out and it's exciting. But lights are great because you hit the switch and you suddenly can see everything that's there. And so when you allow love and light into that soul, sometimes there's dark areas that get exposed. But this is the beauty of it. The Holy Spirit never exposes things to bring shame to you. He exposes things to bring healing and restoration to your life. We have to see this. Because sometimes, unfortunately, and it's, it's people who have their own issues in life, it's so easy to point to someone else, see their dark places and dark spaces, and bring shame to their life. And that's usually because it makes us feel better about ourselves. I'm not quite as bad as them. But see, the Holy Spirit's different. He'll show you things. You'll go, I didn't even know that about myself. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even see that I was doing that or saying that. Wow. And then instantly he's like, but guess what? That's not who you were made to be. Let me come in and heal those spaces and places in your heart. Let me bring restoration to your life. Basically, let me trade out those lies for my truth so you'll see yourself correctly. And guess what? When you see yourself right, you'll walk right. Those, those addictions, those things you've been struggling with in life, the, uh, maybe just, you know, the responses to people and things that you don't even like. You, you ever gotten to a quiet place or space and you're like, Sometimes I just don't even like myself. It's simply because we lost our identity. And so will we allow the Holy Spirit to show us those areas and then bring healing to those areas so now those, those responses or those triggers aren't based on lies anymore. It's based on truth. Amen. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you've never given up on humanity, that you love us, you care for us. You're a father who, who would never leave us, who would never abandon us. 
I pray for every person here this morning who maybe they're struggling with identity. They're, they're literally right now in an identity crisis. They know what the Bible says. They, they know what they're supposed to do. But then they look at their life and they're like, I look nothing like what I'm supposed to do. I pray this morning that you would bring healing to their heart. That you would remind them of who they are. That we are your sons, we are your daughters. And we truly are who you say we are. And I love that song. Some of you should just play that song today. We are your sons, we are your daughters, hallelujah. We are who you say we are. Because a lot of times we think, no, I am who I say I am. Oh, get this, I am who they say I am. Maybe you're here this morning and someone has spoken things into your life. They've given you an identity that's a lie, that isn't true, but we believe it to be true. I pray the Holy Spirit would work in that right now. That forgiveness would come from that, that you would forgive that person, that you would release that person. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now by, by your spirit that you're healing those spaces and places in people's souls this morning. They're beginning to see their true identity is in you. Image bearers of God. We thank you that you are in the healing and restoration business. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, it's real simple. The Father loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus. And there's simply one thing we have to do. Believe on him. He carried our shame and our sin and everything to a cross. He even allowed us to commit deicide, to kill him. But in the resurrection, he said two great things. He said no to the way that the world operates, but he said a big fat yes to you, saying you are worthy. You are my beloved son and daughter with whom I am well pleased. Will you awaken to this relationship I made available? It's here. It's waiting for you. All you have to do is believe it and receive it. If you're here this morning and say, I've never made that decision, but I want to do that this morning, just quickly raise your hand. I believe when we raise our hand, it's just an outward expression of what's happening inward in our soul. I thank you, Father, for every person here this morning those who have made that decision in the past, those who have made that decision today. It's simply a decision to believe and receive what you've already provided. We thank you for that relationship, that Holy Spirit, you're with us. You made us a promise to never leave us, to never forsake us. And we thank you, you're always leading us the right way to our true identity as sons and daughters. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God is good, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.